Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, health officials have given the green light to booster shots for those already vaccinated against COVID-19 and are likely to approve vaccines for younger children very soon as well. Blanchard Valley Health System's Dr. Bill Coase sorts out all the information you need to know. Also this morning, a bill co-sponsored by State Senator Rob McCauley will make financial literacy education mandatory for Ohio high school students. What exactly will they learn and how will it be taught? And November is a month to give thanks for the wide variety of outdoor spaces we have the chance to enjoy within the Hancock Park District. Michelle Rubschlag will tell us what's happening in the parks. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, October 26th, 2021. Today is Horseless Carriage Day. It is also National Mincemeat Day, National Mule Day, National Pumpkin Day, which seems appropriate, Worldwide Howl at the Moon Night tonight. So while you're at the Halloween parade this evening, take a few moments with your kids and howl at the moon in honor of Howl at the Moon Night. National Day of the Deployed. I read that at first. I, You know how your mind kind of gets ahead of you sometimes in your reading and you assume that the next word is something and then it isn't? I looked at that and I thought it was National Day of the Dead. No, it's National Day of the Deployed. And it is Czech, uh, Texas Chicken Fried Steak Day. That sounds yummy. Know what I'm having for dinner tonight. So, uh, speaking of Halloween, after uh, many, if not most, Halloween celebrations and festivities were canceled last year because of the pandemic, people are really, really ready to enjoy Halloween this year. And Google took a look at what they want to dress up as for the holiday. They do this every year. Uh, Google Trends has released its 2021 Fright Geist which lists, among other things, the top costumes nationally. The most popular one is not from a movie or TV show, but instead is a Halloween classic, The Witch. Just the generic witch, number one on the list of most popular Halloween uh, costumes. Uh, As a matter of fact, six of the top ten are sort of Old costume, standby, traditional Halloween. Uh, they would include a, a witch, a rabbit, a dinosaur. And then we get into a couple of specifics. Spider-Man and Cruella DeVille rounding out the top five. The rest of the top ten, a fairy. Harley Quinn from the... Uh, Oh, the Marvel movie franchise with the uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, a cowboy, a clown, and Chucky. The rest of the top 10 Halloween costumes for 2021. A couple of other notable costumes are those based on Squid Game, the wildly popular Netflix, Netflix series, is making its influence known. Halloween costumes, Squid Game. Uh, that's a 23rd most popular overall. And those based on the mobile game Among Us, which is 16th most popular. I have to admit, I am not familiar with that game, but I'm not a big gamer. So 
I wouldn't expect to be familiar with that. So if you're dressing up as a, just forewarn you, if you are dressing up as a character from the mobile game Among Us and you come to our door for trick or treat, then you will probably be asked to explain yourself. <laughs> because I have no idea what uh, what that is. So, How about the most dangerous Halloween-related thing you will do this year? What do you think it is? The most dangerous Halloween-related thing you will do this year. And I'll give you a hint. It's not necessarily something that is unique to this year alone. It's something that we do every year, and it is usually the most dangerous Halloween-related thing we do this time of year. The answer? Carving a pumpkin. The CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, reports that between October and November, 44% of Halloween-linked injuries are connected with pumpkin carving. So nearly half. More than one quarter of all injuries related to the Halloween celebration include cuts, ingestions, and costume, pumpkin, or decoration-related injuries. Uh, There were nearly 2,700 injuries involving trips and falls. Orthopedic hand surgeon Dr. Dr. Craig Phillips says it is important for parents to establish clear boundaries with their kids and teach them safety tips to ensure they have a positive experience rather than having to visit the hospital. Uh, So when, which is interesting, I mean, certainly it's good advice. You want to make sure that your kids are being safe when they're celebrating. But um, pumpkin carving is an equal opportunity injury activity. And adults, I think, are just as likely to get injured doing this as our kids. So we all have to uh, keep this in mind. When carving pumpkins, be sure to use carving knives or knives specifically designed for the task. Don't just pull out a paring knife from the kitchen, which is what we always did when I was a, a kid. That's what we used, but I guess we shouldn't have done that. We're lucky we got all our fingers still. Um, be sure to carve in a clean, dry, and well-lit area and make sure there is no moisture on the carving tools or on your hands. You don't want those to slip and cut you that way. Some good advice there. Uh, Follow-up to a story yesterday. Uh, You remember we were talking about uh, Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball that the receiver just handed casually to a fan in the stands, not realizing that it was such a milestone uh, career moment for Tom Brady. And uh, Byron Kennedy, the fan who ended up with the record-breaking ball, gave it back even though, and I'm sure he didn't know it when he gave it back, that it was potentially worth half a million dollars. To have that piece of memorabilia, if you were to own it and auction off, uh, auction it off in the open market, uh, sports memorabilia dealer said, hey, easily half a million bucks that someone would pay for Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball. But nonetheless, uh, the fan did give it back uh, after being <laughs> after the Buccaneers begged and pleaded 
Um, And now we know what he is getting in return, because we mentioned yesterday that uh, he didn't initially want to give up the ball. Again, I don't know that he knew what the, the, the value was of this piece of memorabilia he suddenly had in his hands, but it was just a cool thing that he didn't want to give up, and it's understandable. So after some uh, negotiation, we reported yesterday that uh, he would get some goodies, some swag from the Buccaneers in exchange for giving up the ball. We now know what he ended up with. Um, Mr. Kennedy will get two signed Tom Brady jerseys, a helmet, another jersey autographed by Mike Evans, the receiver who handed him the ball, and Mike Evans' game-worn cleats. So that apparently is the uh, uh, prize package that he exchanged for Tom Brady's 600th touchdown ball. I don't know. I'm reading through that list and I'm thinking, you know, that's all cool, but is it worth half a million dollars? (laughs) I mean, uh, I don't know if uh, that's enough. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, this is kind of interesting. The most uh, interesting research for you to know about this morning. I saw this from Penn State researchers have found. Are you ready for this? I hope you're sitting down. Social media is changing how we get to know people. (laughs) Yes, that's right. It's research from the file of duh. Um, These researchers at Penn State say social media opens up new ways for people to connect but it also forces our brains to adapt to a form of communication that it was not designed for. For example, when most people meet someone new uh, face-to-face, they often feel a need to reduce uncertainty about that person by interacting directly, but also by asking others about this person or by observing how the person interacts with others so if you're meeting someone new you get a lot of cues as to the type of person they are from the way they interact with others in the room obviously social media you can't necessarily do it at least you can't do that in the same way um social media removes one's ability to pick up on nonverbal cues that we would normally get from an in-person interaction however social media does make it possible for us to gather a lot of information about a person very quickly either from their Uh, profile or from their news feed and kind of, you know, Facebook stalk them to get to know them a little bit. And who hasn't done that from time to time? Researchers say people have adapted to compensate uh, for the lack of the nonverbal cues we get from meeting someone in person. Also, by asking more direct questions and disclosing more information about themselves in hopes of drawing people out that they are just meeting for the first time online. Uh, One of the researchers in this project said, we used to talk about uh, media literacy. We need to expand that to include social media literacy. With how much social media can affect the brain, it is important to be able to understand and take control of how social media is affecting you. Again, research from the file of... Duh. And lastly, did you happen to hear this uh, story? Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Apparently, just going to space himself is not enough. His uh, 
space company, Blue Origin, now wants to build a new commercial space station for tourism. <laughs> it's a theme park in outer space, basically. It'd be about the... It would be about the size of the existing International Space Station, but it would be basically designed specifically for space tourism. And the International Space that, that that's probably a good thing. The International Space Station is designed to be, you know, for research and very serious stuff. This would just be an outer space playground. They would call it the Orbital Reef, and it would be able to accommodate about 10 people. Now, this is a long way from happening. Uh, Blue Origin hasn't gone beyond just um, a few suborbital flights. So they've got a ways to go before they can do this. But in a news conference yesterday, the company announced that it plans to work with the startup Sierra Space to make this space station a reality, which uh, they will co-finance. And Boeing plans to design a research module on the station uh, they are also uh, expecting to have NASA as an anchor tenant uh, on this. There would be, I guess, some serious stuff going on there. But brings up a couple of questions. First of all, would you go if there was if space tourism was a thing? Would you go? And number two, who would you like to send and not see them come back? <laughs> I think of a few people. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Partly sunny skies today with a high in the mid-50s. Partly cloudy and cool tonight with a low around 40. The Ohio Department of Health has modified its COVID quarantine recommendations for schools, saying direct contacts may remain in the classroom following exposure if they wear a mask for 14 days. The updated quarantine guidelines we're sharing will allow for as much in-school learning as possible, even as we continue our effort to battle COVID-19. That's Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, Director of the Ohio Department of Health. To get more on the new guidelines on our website. Dozens of Heidelberg University students held a protest in downtown Tiffin over a new vaccine mandate. Students say they were never consulted by school leadership before the mandate was announced on October 7th. Meantime, the vaccine mandate appears to have a high compliance rate at The Ohio State University. A new report shows 96% of people complied with the first vaccination deadline. It applied to all Ohio State students, faculty, and staff. They had to have at least their first dose by October 15th. Their second dose is due by November 15th. A second student charged in the fraternity hazing death of a Bowling Green State University student has pleaded guilty. Aaron Lahane entered his pleas as part of a deal with Wood County prosecutors. The 21-year-old Loveland man is due to be sentenced in February and could face a potential prison term. Lahane pleaded guilty to eight counts of hazing, two misdemeanor obstruction counts, and violation of underage alcohol laws. The counts stem from the March death of 20-year-old Stone Foltz, who was trying to join Pi Kappa Alpha. He was found unconscious by a roommate after the hazing ritual and died three days later. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The University of Finley's Helping Hands Food Drive is approaching. The annual event will be held on Wednesday, November 3rd. Non-perishable food items and monetary donations will be collected to benefit those who need them the most. Donations will be collected on campus at the Alumni Memorial Union through a drive-up and drop-off process. And there will also be several drop-off locations around town. All donations go to Chopin Hall and will benefit families in Findlay and Hancock County. 
Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Our cover story this morning, a lot of developments on the COVID front over the past week or two. So I want to bring in uh, Dr. Bill Coe's Blanchard Valley Health System to help sort out all of the information that you need to know with respect to all of this. Dr. Coe's, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Want to uh, first of all start with the uh, boosters. Uh, the uh, FDA and the CDC have uh, signed off, given the green light to booster shots for those who are already vaccinated against COVID nineteen. We talked, I think, the last time we had you on the program, we kind of uh, talked a little bit about are we kind of getting ahead of ourselves with boosters uh, when there are so many people who have yet to be vaccinated in the first place, but setting all of that aside uh is there any reason not to get a booster uh, even though there are still a lot of unvaccinated people we need to focus on it does seem as though the vaccine supply is plentiful any reason not to get a booster uh no i think the key is just what you said chris and that is there's plenty of vaccine available in america and there is no reason, unless you've had a problem with the vaccine, talking to your physician, that you'd feel that you shouldn't get it. But otherwise, um, and, and again, that's not very often, but uh, otherwise, someone that wants to get the booster is perfectly it's permissible, and it's, it's probably a good idea. Certainly for those that are above 65, those with autoimmune problems, um, or are on medications that make, may make them more susceptible to getting any kind of infection, including COVID, uh, they're at a higher priority to get it. But no, it's fine to go ahead and get the, uh, the booster. And uh, I think we talked about this uh, the last time we had you on as well. Uh, It appears it's okay if you're going in to get your uh, seasonal flu shot, which uh, this is the time of year we normally talk about that, uh, okay to get both that and the booster at the same time. That is correct. Just in general, at a high level, a lot of times it's recommended to separate them some, but this has been done. Uh, it makes it more convenient for people, and it, it appears to be just as effective as if you get both of your uh, vaccines at the same time, one for influenza and also one the booster, or even if you're starting the new vaccine series for covid uh, Again, it makes uh, makes good sense. That is a, a good point as well. Now, much of the talk around boosters has been in mixing and matching, and the health officials ha- have said that it is perfectly fine to do that. If you got the Pfizer uh, vaccine originally, you get the uh, Moderna booster. There's really no problem with that. If you got the Johnson and Johnson single dose vaccine to get a booster of one of the mRNA uh, vaccines. Is it okay to do do it the other way if you got one of the mRNA vaccines, the Pfizer or the Moderna, to get the Johnson & Johnson booster? Because that's different uh, kind of technology, if you will. Yes, uh, and that's a good question. Uh, there's been different, I don't want to say different opinions about that. In general, what we've been telling people that uh, if you can, to st- and since there's plenty available, mm-hmm. if you've gotten the mRNA to get the mRNA, and if you've got Johnson and Johnson to to follow up with it, um, 
it probably doesn't make that much difference. It's the, the problem with all of this is related to what's the evidence of how effective they are and what's come out. It doesn't appear there's any side effects from doing anything like that, and it's probably okay to do that. But like I said, here we have at least recommended okay. sticking with Pfizer and Moderna together. I know this is the big question in the minds of many people, so I'm going to throw it out to you. Uh, is the combination of a full vaccine uh, regimen uh, and then the booster, is that enough that we can finally take off our masks once and for all? Again, you know, that was kind of the, the standard. We didn't we thought we didn't have to worry about masks. Then the Delta variant came out and. People are being asked to put their masks back on, even if they were vaccinated. Is the booster enough to finally take those off once and for all? Well, I uh, unfortunately, I don't think so. But there's different kinds of opinions. Uh, what's come out with about the uh, children in schools yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you do wear a mask, it's okay to be in the school system. I, I would say this, Chris, we're still looking for that herd immunity where they just the chances of getting it. It's a probability sort of thing, and that would be related to how effective is going to be the mask. So when we still only have 50% or so that have been uh, vaccinated, it's hard to say we've gotten enough immunity in the system there. One of the things that we're just not just waiting to see is that there's going to be, and there have been a lot of people that have been infected. So is their immunity going to be uh, substantial is it going to be workable mm-hmm. and how long is it going to last i think covid is going to be around forever but it's going to be like hopefully other things we don't see as much of it as what we're seeing now yeah. with natural immunity in addition to the vaccines uh, so I, I think we're just going to have to wait and see of whether and there's no question that the data that's coming out and what the, the director of high health said yesterday masks do work i mean that's just empirically what we've seen so i don't know i i do think by the next maybe the second quarter of 2022 we're going to see reductions we're starting to see plateauing maybe even going down a little bit for the reasons i've already mentioned that masks aren't going to be as needed now i'm so used to wearing a mask it's just not a big deal (laughs) just that's that's just what you do so Masking seems pretty minimal to me, but I understand not everyone agrees with that. Yeah, and uh, there's been the point. That's one of the things that we talked about uh, even a year ago. Is this was this something that uh, we might see more people just wearing masks uh, out of habit, especially when we come into a cold and flu season? And it appears maybe that uh, is also the case. You referenced uh, spread in schools, and and that's the other big news with respect to the vaccine is that it seems like that we will get FDA and CDC approval for vaccines for younger children very soon. What do parents need to know about vaccinating their kids? I know that there are some who are hesitant about this. Even individuals who are fully vaccinated themselves are a little wary about vaccinations for kids, young kids under the age of 12. And I think it would it would be and understandably that uh, this is a new vaccine. We don't have uh, experience except what we have seen in adults, and it's been very effective. Children have been getting vaccines for a long time. You go back to polio and to things like that, and we're always watching to see if there's been 
uh, if there are side effects. The biggest concern was the, the uh, possibility of inflammation of the heart, pericarditis or myocarditis is what you would read about. And they did it. There was a big trial done. Uh, the data did not show any problems. The things that were being looked at were the cardiac in addition to anaphylaxis or severe reactions or deaths or things like that. Mm-hmm. And there were minimal side effects. Uh, biggest thing was some people, some children were maybe a little bit tired or they may have had a little muscle aching, uh, but that all passed within uh, a day or two. So it appears to be really safe. Those would be the questions that I would be asking as, if I were a parent, a grandparent, uh, especially after we have given more, uh, we're keeping data, and there will be uh, results coming back as as thousands and millions of uh, children are getting the vaccine. But it certainly appears to be safe. Um, the kids then are not going to get as likely to get infected. They still could. It's about 90%. It appears uh, the same thing as what the other vaccines have been in adults. Right. But it also keeps the spread down, and hopefully it's going to be able to keep the schools open um, uh, a lot easier than what it's been. As, Everybody's as, been looking forward to getting the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, as I understand, this may be kind of uh, wading into the weeds here a, a bit, but I, I am kind of curious uh, on this. Is It's been reported that the vaccine dose for children is basically half of what would be an adult dose. And I'm curious, how is that administered? Is it uh, just a smaller amount that is injected at the same concentration, or is it the same uh, injection, just a diluted amount of vaccine within that same, or does it matter? Uh, I don't think it makes any difference, but okay. my understanding would be that it's just a smaller dose. It's 10 okay. units, uh, a microgram kind of dosage, the way when I read about this, that it will be just a smaller dose and with a smaller needle or Okay. Uh, because of the size of the children's, it's 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 de- it had been developed on a weight based. Obviously, children are smaller, and that's the that's the dosage that they came up with. Mm. Really interesting stuff, and again, uh, a lot of developments uh, here over the past uh, couple of weeks with respect to vo- boosters and uh, vaccines for young children. We continue to uh, follow this. Again, Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, with us this morning to sort out all of the information that you need to know. Dr. Coase, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for letting me uh, share with you, Chris. And coming up tomorrow, by the way, uh, Kareem Baruti, uh, Hancock Public Health Commissioner, will be here to talk about the uh, public health side of this and the rollout of uh, things like uh, boosters and vaccines for kids and so on and the ongoing uh, effort to uh, get more people vaccinated. So that will be tomorrow morning on the program as we continue uh, this conversation. Such a uh, big story. Well, as surprising as it is these days when elected officials from both sides of the aisle agree on something, it is not at all surprising that a bill co-sponsored by State Senator Rob McCauley sailed through the state legislature mandating financial literacy education as a graduation prerequisite for Ohio high school students beginning with this next year's incoming freshman class. Uh, Ray Martinez is co-founder and president of EverFi, which is a company that delivers personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investment education to K-12 students and adults through partnerships with more than 900 financial institutions across the country. And Ray, how did, let's start with kind of the background on this. How did financial literacy become such a widespread problem that 
we need so desperately to address it in this way. Yeah, Chris, uh, thank you for having me on on the show. Um, I, I think I'd point to two two different factors. I think number one, uh, you could go back to the financial crisis in two thousand and eight. I think that that really put a spotlight on uh, the financial literacy crisis in this country. Um, you know, as consumers were making different decisions. And the second macro factor would just be around the, the the wealth gap that exists in the United States. You know, this trend has been really persistent since the 1970s. And, you know, I think you're seeing now for really for the first time a, a commitment to really address a lot of these different factors. Financial literacy, financial education can play, I think, a key role in better preparing, particularly young adults, for success as they enter the workforce or, or go off to, to college. You know, we've been at this for a little over 13 years. Um, we founded the company to provide digital financial education to public schools all across the United States. And like any great entrepreneurs, we jumped in an RV with our first piece of technology. <laughs> uh, and actually schools in, schools in Ohio were from some of the first schools to adopt the platform, North Royalton High School many years ago. Uh, adopt this curriculum. But, you know, I think this news for Ohio, if you're a parent or if you're a student, um, I think this is a really positive development. I mean, these are pocketbook, pocketbook issues that the kids want to learn about. Yeah. So broadly speaking, what does, and I want to get into some of the specifics because I know you have looked at this law in Ohio, but broadly speaking, first, what does or what should financial literacy for students actually look like? Well, I think number number one, um, you know, this needs to be engaging. You know, young adults have a really high bar for uh, how they receive content, how they're how they're entertained. So, number one, you need to engage with the students, and you need to engage with with their teachers. I mean, teachers are going to want to put great tools and learning experiences in front of their in front of their kids, and and then from there, I really believe that you have to track and measure. Uh, outcomes and, and, and understandings, but you know you need to cover a lot of different topics: savings, budgeting, understanding your credit score, how do you finance higher education, and then a lot of these emerging new topics. Um, Chris, like you know, how, what is cryptocurrency? How does that work? Uh, how do you bank in the modern digital age? How does peer-to-peer payments work? And, and so, I believe it really has to be all-encompassing, and it's it's not something that you can teach in in one sitting. Uh, I think financial literacy, financial education really is a, a lifelong skill. And what the data and research research points to, and I see this in my own family because I have a 12-year-old, um, you know, when kids are starting to turn 13, they go through what's called financial socialization. So they're developing their norms and their values and their relationships with money. They can understand more complex economic uh, concept. So, you know, we, we believe our, our point of view here at Everfi is you need to start, you need to start early. Middle school is like one of the perfect times to, to, to engage and, and intervene and provide, you know, some of the basic concepts around personal finance. So as we mentioned, you have looked at this law in Ohio and a couple of things kind of stood out to me. Number one, and the reason why we uh, ask about, you know, what should this look like is because the bill itself, uh, outside of broadly uh, ensuring that it meets uh, educational standards, which are in place for all subjects taught uh, in Ohio schools, it doesn't necessarily set forth specifics as to what should be a part 
of the curriculum. And it also allows schools to kind of farm this out, as it were, to companies such as yours in order to ease the the burden on Ohio teachers who already have their hands full. So a couple of noteworthy things. And I want to get your reaction to that. Well, I think, um, I, I think number one, um, I think it would be unfair to put the, the burden of meeting these requirements on the taxpayers and on our teachers. To your point, you know, Chris, uh, you know, teachers are extremely busy. And I think the last thing that we want to do is put another unfunded mandate in front of these teachers. And so one of the things that we've looked at is how do you scale this topic around financial education? How can you keep it consistent. And, you know, we think that the private sector can play a a huge role in in helping, you know, teachers and students and families in Ohio. This could be foundations, this could be financial institutions, banks and credit unions and insurance companies. One of the things that we wanted to do, Chris, is we wanted to take the, the, the cost off of the table. We didn't want to go to Cincinnati public schools or Toledo public schools and ask them to pay for any of this technology. And, and this technology starts in elementary school, goes all the way through high school and adulthood. And the online programs are free to any teacher, any public school in the state of Ohio that, that wants it. And that's fully funded, you know, by the, by the private sector. So I, so I believe that the private sector can and has played a critical role here in supporting and supporting teachers. But that also brings up the question of what is driving the lessons that are being taught. And it kind of goes back to uh, giving the uh, giving the schools in this bill a broad brush to, you know, set the curriculum. For example, a, a program developed in association with banks or with insurance companies may have a very different take on things like credit and lending and so on than, say, a, a program developed by Dave Ramsey, for example, uh, which is lot of people are familiar with. So how do we know that the information isn't being slanted in some way? Well, I think number one, the the most important thing that you want to be able to do is you have to be able to to map the curriculum, whatever you're providing to a student, you need to be able to map to national and state standards. So one of the organizations that we uh, look to is Jumpstart run by Laura Levine. Jumpstart is the national clearinghouse for academic standards as it relates to financial literacy. Number two is we've looked at all the Ohio state standards, and this goes back 10 years. Uh, all the curriculum is built uh, in-house with our subject matter experts. There's there's no influence by a bank or, or a credit union inside the, the curriculum. This is mm-hmm. all about teaching the fundamental core skills around personal finance and, and financial responsibility for, for young adults. You bring up the the point, you believe that it is up to states uh, to encourage uh, advancements in financial literacy, yeah. as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, we're talking about federal standards. Yeah, well, I think that there, it really comes down to, to three levels that I see. I think you have the federal level, you have the state level, and I think really where this takes place is, is on the on the local level. I mean, ultimately, Chris, you know, teachers want to put great tools in front of their students. And they're going to ask themselves a couple different questions. Number one, are my students going to engage with this material? Number two, is, is the curriculum or is the tool that I'm putting in front of my students, is it standards aligned? So I know that I can integrate this into my curriculum. 
Number three, what is the reporting? I mean, what is the reporting in terms of understanding, knowledge gain, pre and post assessments? And then the last question is, what is it going to cost me? And I think you have to take that cost question off of the table. So I think the local level, you know, the teacher level is really important. It's why we not only provide our technology to public schools across Ohio at no cost, but we also provide every teacher or any teacher that wants it, there's a full-time EverFi employee that will show them how to incorporate the online instruction uh, into the classroom. And, and these are former teachers. We have about 125 full-time employees. Many of them live in the great state of Ohio today whose full-time job is to support educators. We covered the state level in a lot of detail, but on the federal level, Chris, you, you have a lot of interesting things that are happening with the, the CFPB, the OCC, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, all the governing agencies that regulate financial institutions, they all have a um, free curriculum that is available uh, for, for students and for schools all across the country. So you're, you're starting to see on, on a federal level more and more Mm. Um, you know, resources being put towards this. Yeah, uh, it's certainly the, something that everyone agrees uh, that young people need to have a working knowledge of. And again, the uh, nearly unanimous vote uh, to approve this bill in the state legislature demonstrates that. Ray Martinez is co-founder and president of EverFi, uh, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investment education uh, company. Where do we get more information about the curriculum that you provide? Uh, you can go to everfi.com and you can visit our website and there'll be a bunch of resources available for, for teachers and educators. And, you know, really appreciate you having me on the show, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This story is in the running for broken news story of the year. I think this is this is just too good. And it is proof that every rule should have an exception. For example, and I know a lot of people follow this as a general rule that if you get a phone call from an unknown number on your cell phone, then you don't answer it. You just let it go to the voicemail, right? Um because it's probably just a telemarketing call or something like that and that's all well and good having such a rule but again there should always be an exception (laughs) from the state of colorado a hiker who has been missing for more than 24 hours on the highest mountain in colorado ignored repeated phone calls from a search and rescue team because they came from an unknown number (laughs) uh Rescuers are trying to locate the hiker lost on Mount Elbert on October 18th, but their progress was hindered when they failed to respond to multiple calls. The hiker uh, kept ignoring their calls. Uh, Lake County Search and Rescue posted a statement on Facebook saying, after several attempts to contact the hiker by phone, five team members were deployed around 10 p.m. When they failed to locate the hiker, they returned to their base about 3 a.m., And a second search team set out at 7 in the morning. Finally, around 9.30, it was reported that the hiker had returned to their place of lodging. (laughs) 
The hiker told authorities they had lost the trail around nightfall and had spent several hours searching for the trail, trying to get back to the trail before finally reaching their car. And this individual had no idea that search and rescue had been out looking for them. A total of 32 man hours were dedicated to the search. Lake County Search and Rescue added, quote, please remember that what seems like common sense in hindsight is not obvious to a subject in the moment when they are lost and panicking. <laughs> we, we've been looking for you for hours. Why didn't you answer your darn phone? <laughs> well, I didn't know the number. I didn't want to. On the other hand, you can you can kind of see the point because if you're lost uh, on a mountaintop, not knowing where you are, and you get a call from the phone, it, you know the last thing you want to do is answer it and say, "Have somebody on the other end." We're calling to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. <laughs> but still. <laughs> Might want to answer your phone if you are <laughs> lost on a mountain. <laughs> that is awesome. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news, um, a uh, there's not a whole lot here. It's actually outside of that, which is a great story. Kind of a light day in the broken news. A 39-year-old is under arrest on claims he tried to set several gas pumps ablaze. This also in Colorado, in Colorado Springs, in this case. Police say uh, Tory Zellers was detained on Sunday night when he was observed at the uh, gas pumps uh, near a jet wing station on Hancock Expressway in Colorado Springs. Officers don't know why he was trying to set the gas pumps on fire. He just was. I guess he was just bored, looking for something to do. He is uh, charged with attempted arson, menacing, and attempted assault. This seems like a strange thing to do. You know what I mean? It's an odd thing to do. And uh, also in the broken news this morning, potato chips. You go to buy a bag of potato chips at the store, you usually think <laughs> that, that the words potato chips on the bag would imply that the potatoes inside have actually been sliced. But apparently, that is not always the case. A woman in the UK says she bought a bag of potato chips from her local Aldi store this uh, past Friday, and when she got them home and opened them up, she found an entire unsliced potato inside. <laughs> a whole potato inside. She says she bought a multi-pack of the chips, and she, so there were several bags in this, you know, she's buying in bulk. And so she didn't think about the weight and the feel of any one individual bag being off until she grabbed it and opened it. No word on whether the company responded to the situation. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> Open a bag of potato chips and find an entire potato inside. Oh, we forgot to slice it. Sorry. And uh, how about this? Uh, we'll throw this in for good measure. A uh, story with a happy ending. A Maryland Uber driver is $100,000 richer thanks to a lottery ticket he purchased in between trips. <laughs> 69-year-old man from Middle River, Maryland, uh, said that he bought a holiday scratch-off ticket as he was waiting. He had dropped off one passenger and he's waiting for another fare. 
and I had some time to kill. So yeah, what the heck? I'll buy a lottery ticket. And sure enough, one hundred thousand dollars. He says he plans to use the money to well, and this makes sense because he was uh, driving for Uber at the time. So he said he figured he would use the money to upgrade his vehicle so he can stay on the road. <laughs> Do more Uber trips. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Most frightening time of the year. Join WFIN for live coverage of the 2021 Cops and Kids Finley Halloween Parade. Our broadcast begins Tuesday night at 7. Parade coverage on WFIN presented by VisitFinley.com and brought to you in part by Sweet Frog Premium Frozen Yogurt, Cooper Service, and Heavenly Pizza. The Halloween Parade is live on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Who doesn't love Halloween candy? The kid's going to get a lot of it at the Halloween parade tonight and then, of course, trick-or-treat coming up this weekend. We all love Halloween candy, but how much is too much? The American Chemical Society has crunched the numbers and they have come up with the uh, results of how much is too much. Literally, how much candy can kill you? (laughs) Now, they're quick to point out that this is not meant uh, to uh, discourage uh, Halloween candy. You know, go ahead and enjoy. It's not meant to vilify the, the candy industry. Uh, or or any of that. Uh, there is a lethal threshold for everything that we consume. Uh, even water, you can have too much, and it could potentially kill you. Uh, or at least there would be a risk of death. So, just for some fun, and in the spirit of Halloween, they say you would need to eat close to 262 pieces of fun-sized Halloween candy... Or 1,627 pieces of candy corn to reach the lethal threshold. And not only that, you would have to eat it pretty much consecutively and literally shove pieces of candy corn into your mouth in order for any of that to actually kill you. Now, to calculate the lethal quantities of candy... The American Chemical Society used the oral LD50, which is the technical term for the median lethal dose of sugar, sucrose, sugar or sucrose, which is the quantity of substance that's lethal for 50% of the subjects in a test group. As a LD lethal dose, 50 uh, would be the uh, amount that would be considered lethal for 50% of the subjects in a test group. The LD50 for sucrose is 13.5 grams per pound, and with the average person weighing 180 pounds, consuming 2,450 grams, or 5.4 pounds of sugar, can be lethal. So that's how they came up with that. To calculate your Halloween candy lethal threshold for you personally, you multiply your weight in pounds by 13.5 and divide by 9.3. For the lethal dose of candy corn, you divide everything by 1.5. So, 
That's how you arrive at the numbers. And again, uh, researcher Hans Plugge says these equations are meant to be a fun guide, and he doesn't recommend anyone try eating candy quantities exceeding their LD50, but most people would not immediately die after eating that much candy. They would more likely just get elevated blood sugar or start vomiting, and these things could be lethal if left untreated. So, now you know. What happens after Halloween? We get through uh, the Halloween season. We turn our attention to the month of November, and it is a month to give thanks for the wide variety of outdoor spaces we have the chance to enjoy within the uh, Hancock Park District. Michelle Rumschlag is with us from uh, the uh, Hancock Park District. Tell us what's going on in the month of November in the parks. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. So uh, this is a great time of year to uh, get out to the parks that we've talked about. You know, the uh, colors, maybe not as brilliant this year as they have been some years, but, uh, you know, it's a good time to get out and enjoy the fresh fall air. It is. And and I think they're still slowly changing. I don't know if, like, we're going to wake up one day and everything's going to be, like, red and orange outside, or I'm not sure what the delay is in the leaf change, but, but it is because it's that cooler weather, um... You know, it's not terribly cold, but you get yeah. to wear layers. I mean, there's no mosquitoes. Right. You're not like, you know, I don't, I don't like being out when it's really, really hot. So to me, this is like a great time yeah. of, of year to be out. Perfect And time. what a great time to be on the water, which we're still having our self-guided fall float trips through November 14th. So we've got them still this coming the last weekend here in October. Okay. And then the first two weekends in November. So, of course, those you have to sign up by 4.30 the Friday before. All right. Um, one to three, um, only eight people. So if you want to get signed up or have a small group, just go to HancockParks.com. Um, it's $10 a person. So we've got single kayaks or canoes available. Just if you're going to take a canoe, you do need to sign up both people in that canoe. And, um, yeah, as long as the weather's, um, it's really more the wind and the, and the water. If it's high water, or we did have wind issues last year where we had to cancel one. But, I mean, if it's going to be daylight today, it'd be great to be, you know, oh, yeah. you can bundle up. I mean, absolutely, it'd be great to be on the water. Um, so that's kind of your last chance until next, next year, more than a weekend, when we open up our regular rentals. Um, so take advantage of that. Again, that's happening the first two weekends in November, the last one being Sunday, November 14th. Okay. Uh, anything else that's going on in the uh, month of uh, November we want to highlight here? Yeah, well, we've got our story times happening at the Discovery Center. And so in November, we have our We Ones, which is, of course, geared to kids ages three and under with an adult companion. And that's going to take place on Monday, November 8th. And November's theme is called Animal Homes. And so kids can learn about where animals live and where they sleep, you know, if that's a, a hole in a tree or underground or something like that. Of course, with all of our story times, there's a story, there's activities, there's a craft. Um, you can play with the puppets, visit all the animals at the Discovery Center. So, again, We Ones is going to be uh, animal, home, animal Home on Monday, November 8th. And if you've got somebody a little bit older for our Discovery Stories, that's ages three to five, um, it's the following Monday on the 15th, and it's Nature Who Am I? So, again, this is going to be looking at different signs and things in nature and trying to discover who's been there. So, um, again, there's no registration. We had it way back when uh, we had to have our small groups, but we're back to just show up 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 
Very Kamal, good. Kamal. So yes, those will take place on the 8th and the 15th. Okay, uh, terrific. And and uh, just to emphasize, this is real uh, hands-on stuff. So it's uh, great for the for the little ones uh, because they it's very tactile. Uh, so. Kids oh, yeah, that. we have our touch table, like I said, there's the puppets, we have blocks, yeah. and then, you know, depending on, you know, what we're talking about, we try to do different activities of sorting or matching or, or different things um, with that, or if it's about, you know, certain animals or animal homes, I'm sure there'll be nests and things yeah. out. So, yeah, definitely hands-on for the little ones. All right. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight with uh, respect to uh, programming in the month of November? Well, we have our Discovery Center Open House um, taking place on Sunday, November 14th. Um, it's going to be on rodents, so maybe not the most uh, warmed welcome <laughs> topic that people might want to learn about, but you never know. Um, rodents aren't just like mice and rats. I mean, it's, it's squirrels, it's porcupines, um, woodchucks and things like that so everything rodents make up 40 percent of the mammal population so out of all the mammals out there a Mm. lot of them are in that rodent group so this will be everything rodents will have furs um if we have any mounts we'll have those out skulls lots of hands-on activities i'll be i'll be uh there in charge of that one so again if you want to get your family out and learn about rodents come out on uh, Sunday, November 14th, 1 to 4, stop in anytime. All right, very good. Uh, what else do we want to highlight as we uh, head into the cooler weather here? Well, um, we do have some adventure day camps that we're going to have coming up um, the okay. week of Thanksgiving. And okay. so that will be taking place on Monday, November 22nd, and then Tuesday, November 23rd. So I know some schools are still in session, but some aren't. Mm-hmm. And so that Monday, um, it's going to be called Getting Ready for Winter. So we're going to learn about how animals either migrate or they hibernate or what they do to survive. And then on Tuesday, the 23rd, it'll be um, all things kind of Thanksgiving. So we're going to talk about turkeys and Native American things and do some different games. Um, of course, with our Adventure Day Camps, these are for ages 6 to 12, $15 a child, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., both are going to take place at the Discovery Center at Oakwood's Nature Preserve. Um, bring a sack lunch. We'll provide the snacks. And so we'll just have, again, crafts, and- games, fun activities. So if it's something, even though the kids are just getting on Thanksgiving break, right. want to send them out to the parks. You know, and again, it's just one day. Just want to, you know, yeah. have them go out and, and, and do some fun things because they're going to be off that for some. For this, for, I know it's for Finley City. They're right. off that whole week, so now is that uh, are those uh, you fo- you have to register for uh, for those right? It's not just a show up. Yes, yes, okay. correct. Because we do have a limited amount of okay. of kids that we're going to be allowing, and I know I've got a few signed up. I think for each day already. Um, so the deadline for those are, are for for Monday's camp. It'd be that Friday before, and Tuesday's camp would be that Monday morning, okay. um, as long as space is is available. And All so, right. yep, just get online. Um, or you can stop by the Park District office. He said it's $15 a kid. Um, or again, go to HancockParks.com. Uh, more information about all of those programs and more things going on as we head into the month of November at the Hancock Park District. We've got a link up at our webpage as well. Again, Michelle Rumschlag with us uh, this morning. Michelle, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. 
All right. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Once again, thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on social media. Shoot us an email if there's something you want to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more, goodmornings.net. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.